Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everybody. Well, there's one person that is happy to be here. No, excuse me. So last week, we began a new series that we were, are calling Beauty, Infinity, and Wonder, and it was all about experiencing beauty in our daily lives. So you can all look out the windows right now. Um, we said that opening ourselves up to the beautiful, to, the, uh, to those things in our world that are good, uh, that uh, can strike us with a sense of beauty, helps us uh, avoid the problems of some of the most pr- central problems of modern American life, like boredom, frustration, and just a general sense of grumpiness that all of us can occasionally have. And we talked about how uh, an appreciation for beauty, how actually being the type of person that can see and experience beauty actually uh, helps us see and understand and worship God because beauty is this kind of arrow. It's a pointer. It's a, it's a marker that points beyond itself to the person who made all of this that we see and do today possible, right? And so, it's my hope this past week that you were able to take a beat or two and experience some type of beauty. Hopefully, you went and bought a bird feeder if you were here last week. Uh, or you were able to just stop for a moment, Right? and experience beauty, maybe in the face of our children, maybe in a song that we heard, maybe it was a great meal that you shared with friends, what, maybe it was a bird feeder that was on your deck, whatever it was, right, whatever it was, I hope that you had an opportunity to just stop, to appreciate, to open yourselves up to that, and to actually be moved to a kind of worship, to see the divine in this, uh, in your experience of what is, what is beautiful, of what is beautiful. And this week, what I want us to do is kind of uh, expand that idea a little bit more, uh, this concept of beauty, by talking about one particular truth that I think is found within the Christian faith that I believe is both incredibly unique to Christianity, to our faith in general, but also something uh, that makes the faith beautiful, that makes it striking, that makes it resplendently beautiful. You know, the faith should be beautiful. It should be compelling. And when I say that Christianity should be beautiful, that it should be compelling, that might strike some of you as slightly odd. I don't know. Maybe it does. You, maybe you don't think of Christianity or, or religion in general as something that is beautiful or that should be beautiful. Uh, maybe it's just simply never a, a, a term or a, or a category that you've used to describe your faith. Beautiful. Do I have a beautiful faith? It's possible that you're here this morning and you've grown kind of bored with your spiritual journey. And so beautiful is like 
way along down the line of the way you want to talk about what it is you're doing as, as either a follower of Jesus or somebody who is trying to orient themselves around faith. Or it's even possible that this morning that you just don't think that that category applies at all. You're just kind of a modern 21st century person, and you think, what good can Jesus add to my life in any way, shape, or form, let alone create in my life, create in the, the spheres of influence that I have something beautiful, something transcendent? How, how is that even possible? You know, I think that very often when we think about Christianity in our modern American context, the reason that the idea of it being something that can actually be experienced as being beautiful is because so often we just, we just condense it down, right? We, we just boil it down to its most, uh, its most simple components. And, and very often when we boil a, religious, a religion down to its most simple components, it just becomes about following rules, doesn't it? It just becomes about behavior modification, it just becomes about uh, being a person who is seen to do certain things and not do other things. And that, in and of itself, is not beautiful in any way. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, but the reality of the Christian faith, and something that has been, uh, something that we've believed, that Christians have believed from the very beginning, and what I hope to show you today, is that, uh, is that the Christianity, the the the, the faith of Jesus Christ is something that has always been and will continue to be beautiful, and that we are invited by Jesus into this way of life that is, that is big and beautiful and significant and important. And that's what Jesus invites us into, a beautiful faith, a beautiful walk, a beautiful expression of his, of his goodness. You know, we are invited into this kind of rhythm in the scriptures that, that we could call a rhythm of grace, a rhythm of grace, a life lived in the midst of grace. You know, uh, I hope that this morning I can uh, show you a little bit that it is by embracing this idea of grace that we're really and truly able to see how beautiful the faith of Jesus is. That the people who put their faith in Jesus can step into a beautiful expression of what it means to be a human being. And so this morning, I just want to talk about the beauty of grace, the beauty of this concept of grace. Now, grace is one of those words that we don't hear very often outside of the church. We may maybe talk about a graceful person or something like that, but we don't hear about grace in the technical way that you would think about grace, right? But it turns out to be one of the most important words we can possibly encounter in the Christian faith. If we don't see and understand what grace uh, comes to represent in the scriptures, then we can't possibly experience the free gift of, of Jesus as a beautiful and compelling thing. If we don't understand what grace is, we cannot experience the gift of Jesus as, a, as the beautiful thing that it is. So grace at, grace, at least in a theological or biblical sense, has a pretty uh, definite meaning. It has, you could look it up in the, in the dictionary, and it could come with a meaning. And I can tell you that the word grace, uh, which is charis in Greek and gratis in Latin, if you're a Latin head, I don't know if there's any of you here this morning, um, just means unmerited favor. It means unmerited or unearned favor. It's a pretty simple word. So grace simply means favor, merit, or reward 
that you can't do anything to actually earn on your own, right? It's just given to you. It's just a gift. <clears throat> but there, uh, uh, you, don't, you don't have to work to get it, right? You don't have to work to receive grace. You don't uh, have to do the right things to get it. It's just unmerited favor. It's just reward. But there is a beauty hidden in the word grace that I don't think a simple dictionary definition really reveals to us. We very often can look at, the, uh, look at a dictionary and find the meaning of a word, and it doesn't actually carry the, the weight or the force of the thing, does it? It, it kind of just lays there dead on the page. It doesn't carry the significance or the weight of the, the words that Paul uses in Ephesians 4 from our teaching text to describe what grace is. Paul says, the incomparable riches of God's grace is what he's talking about here. It's much bigger than a dictionary definition. Sometimes the dictionary just doesn't quite get to the heart of the meaning, right? Because it's, um, it's just about head knowledge. It's just about mental assent. But this turns out to be why we need great poets and musicians and artists this, who can kind of peel back the layers or the thing, uh, of a thing, right, and reveal the beating heart to it, right? Who can show us the, the emotional resonance of a thing in a way that compels our, our hearts, that, that moves us in a way that a simple di dictionary definition doesn't do. You know, we can kind of bypass our brains sometimes and we can get to the true meaning of a thing that might not always reside in the synapses of our brain. Now, I understand our emotions exist in our brain too. No biology students get on my case, but you know what I mean, right? In the ancient sense of the word, our heart, our cardia, the, the center of our being can be enlivened by an idea, right? It can be, it can be captured by a thing when we see it in a beautiful or artistic way, we need these types of people. We need these types of expressions of these ideas to really understand them. And one of the writers who I've been reading a lot lately and who I think captures this idea perfectly is this novelist and theologian named Frederick Buchner. He passed away just a couple of years ago. <clears throat> but he, in a short essay on grace, uh, says this, and it'll be up on the screen. It's a little long. My goodness, my throat this morning, people. I blame the weather. It just means I have a little bit more gravitas. All right. So this is what Buchner says. After centuries of handling and mishandling, most religious words have become so shopworn, nobody's much interested anymore. Not so with grace, for some reason. Mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get, but can only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? A crucial eccentricity of, of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have, you, ha you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. The grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Because the party would not have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Nothing can ever separate us. 
It's for you that I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. So we're done and you can all go home. That's the problem with good quotes. They always say things better than you can say them. So, so uh, this morning, what I really want to do with, uh, with you all is kind of comb through the scriptures and kind of turn this idea of grace over like, I don't know, a Rubik's Cube or like a diamond, right? And turn it over and look at it from a couple different angles to try and hopefully see why this word grace is such a beautiful thing. Why, it, why it's captured the imagination of so many Christians for so many thousands of years and why we named our church that word. <laughs> that's the other part, right? If you've ever been wondering why that is, then that's hopefully what we'll do this morning. Okay? You can say okay, it's good. Great, thank you. So uh, first, I just want to look at this idea that God's grace is not a reward for behaviorism. It is a free gift. There is no earning in the Christian life. You can participate with what God is doing. You can even obey God, but you cannot earn. God's love for you and his grace towards you is a settled matter. Just let that sink into your heart. His love for you and his grace towards you is a settled matter. There is no more earning. There is no more striving. There is no more willing in our own power to acquire anything that God hasn't already offered to us. This is true. The greatest gift of God is right there for the taking. And this is the central truth of Christianity. The central truth. It makes Christianity different from almost nearly every other religion that the world has ever seen. Because Christians believe that they can do nothing to earn God's approval. What, uh, what Butcher calls the eccentricity of the Christian faith, right? This is what he says. That salvation, that stepping into right relationship with the Creator has nothing to do with you, really. And this, I think, is where the idea of grace and beauty collide. Why I think that the two... Uh, ideas are so closely related. Because have you ever tried to earn something beautiful? Have you ever tried to, to step out and actually make something beautiful happen? Maybe you're an artist and you're capable of doing that, but I am not, I assure you. How do you earn a sunset, right? How, how do you earn a beautiful piece of music, right? You just let it happen to you. How do you earn love? You don't. Beauty happens to us, doesn't it? Really and truly. Beauty happens to us. It happens around us. We cannot make it happen. Go and try to force something beautiful this week and see how that works. Just grit your teeth and clench your fist and try to, this is going to be pretty. It's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. Uh, beauty, like grace, like God's love, is something we simply have to be open and aware of. We cannot make it happen, and it turns out to be all around us, but it is far more about our ability to see and receive it than it is about our ability to make it happen. And for this reason, grace and beauty are so closely related. Too often we run through our lives just kind of unaware or unwilling to take in the miracle that is the beauty that is all around us, right? 
We talked about this a lot last week, that the, the daily drudgery of American life can just shut us off from all of that, right? The bills and the, and the neighbors and the, and the schoolwork and the, and the, my goodness, the bosses. They can, they can just kind of rob us of this sense of beauty or wonder. They can, they can drain the blood out of our lives in such a way that we can just kind of walk through life unaware of all of the good, all of the grace, all of the beauty that is all around us at every given moment. And yet, it's still there. It's still there if you're willing to receive it. And grace, like beauty, is the same. It is this unmerited favor. It is this wonderful love that is lavished upon us by the creator of the universe. And yet, we can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to, to kind of own it or corral it, right? It's just a kind of wild and roving love that is out there and is towards everyone that we can't really get our arms around even. But yet, it's ours if we're aware enough, if we're open enough to receive it, if, we're, if, we're, if, our eye, if we just have eyes to see, the Bible says very often, if we just have ears to hear what is actually happening in the world, if we just have eyes to see the truth of the universe and not just the thing that is most pressing in front of our faces, we can see both the beauty of this world and the grace of God displayed to us in ways that we never thought imaginable. But that grace should have a kind of effect on us, right? If we experience something beautiful, it has a kind of effect on us. If, if, we were, if, that, if that's true, right? If that's really, if that's true, if God created you out of sheer grace and loves you out of sheer grace and offers himself to you in the person of Jesus out of sheer grace, then it should have some effect on us, right? should do something. It should move us in some way. And that leads us to the second point, and that is that grace is, I think, transformative. Grace is transformative. It should transform us. Now, I don't know about you. Here's a confession. Um, I don't know about you, but I like romantic comedies. Do, is anybody else a big fan of romantic comedies? Uh, I love Jane Austen movies. My mom used to have them, all the, VH, all the PBS VHSs that she would just play over and over all day long. She wouldn't let me watch shows. She would just play, no, she would, but uh, she would just play Jane Austen, those PBS Jane Austen uh, shows. And so I really, <laughs> I kind of like them. There's this weird nostalgia that happens with me whenever there's uh, a romantic comedy or a Jane Austen movie on. And, uh, and sometimes we run into these romantic comedies or we run into these Jane Austen novels or, or movies. And uh, and all of them at their heart have this truth, right? The transformative power of love. It's always like a really messed up guy or a really messed up girl, and when they actually come together and they love one another, that love makes everything better, right? This is what movies are all about, right? And so because I have this love, my life no longer stinks, right? Or because I have this love, I was a wreck, and now like I can kind of keep it together, this is, what, this is what romantic comedies are about, right? Uh, Jerry Maguire says, you complete me, right? Uh, Jack Nicholson says, you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> That's my Jack Nicholson. For all you college kids, he's an important person. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, it's, the it's the same transforming power that makes Mr. Darcy like get up 
who, who started off the movie, because I didn't read the book, uh, started off the movie kind of standoffish and a little dopey in, in Sense and Sensibility, uh, at get up really early in, on a foggy morning and walk over the hills with a big cloak on, showing a little too much chest. And <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know. Uh, and, and, wa and walks up and says, you've bewitched me body and soul, and I love you, I love you, I love you, right? It's love that, cause, that causes this change in people to occur, doesn't it? It's love. And it's true. It's true to a certain extent that love does change us. It should. Uh, to, to a certain extent, and to a fallible extent, actually, real love, true love, and the knowledge that we are unconditionally loved does change us. It should transform us. It should, when you experience something good like that, it should make us better people, shouldn't it? It should transform us. But even better than the kind of partial romantic love that we really idolize in movies and in TV and all of these kind of cultural forms, better than all of that, better than that kind of faulty love that we know we can only give one to another, the grace of God, when we really see and react to it, should change us. It should transform us. It should call something out of us. It not only saves us, the scriptures say that this grace is actually a saving grace, that it actually allows us to step into relationship with the creator of the universe, and this is a salvation for our souls. But it also transforms us. It also makes us different people. Here's how Paul says it in our teaching text for today, beginning in Ephesians 5. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raises us up right? So God raises us up. So we've been saved through this grace, and then God raises us up. He changes us in some sense with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I think in the book of Titus, we, it's even clearer. In Titus 2, uh, verses 11 through 14, this is what we read. For the grace of God has appeared uh, that offers salvation to all people, it, but, but it does this also. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, right? There's, there's this element of grace that empowers or transforms our hearts while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify uh, for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God is something more than just a feeling. It's something more than just a feeling or, or uh, an understanding. In the scriptures, the grace of God is actually something that transforms us, that changes the condition of our heart, that, 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 that turns us in a sense, that changes our moods and disposi dispositions and transforms our heart. This is what the late, uh, early medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas says, to have the grace of God is to possess the favor of God in such a manner that a supernatural change comes about within the soul that one, uh, that one who has thus found favor, of the one who has thus found favor, that discovering that favor and that love of God creates a supernatural change in our hearts, which means after we experience it, we are functionally different people, not perfect people, far from that, not still, not still, we are still horribly flawed people, but different people nonetheless. Different affections, different desires, different wants, different hopes even. 
when you truly experience the grace of God, when you, when you receive that love, when you experience it as a gift, it should bring about a supernatural change in your soul. It should transform you. And that is a beautiful thing. You are, in a, some real biblical sense, a different person. And the Bible has all kinds of ways of talking about this, all kinds of analogies. In the Old Testament, the prophets said that God would give, uh, re- replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. This was an analogy that the prophets used to talk about it. In the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about dying to one's old self and being raised to new life, right? There's all kinds of ways that the Bible talks about this. But the, the, the way that we experience the grace of God should bring about a change in us, shouldn't it? It should actually transform us. You know, very often when we think of grace, we just think of it as like God's kind of, none of the bad stuff you do matters, like wave of his hand. But it's not that. It's, it's the assurance, it's the knowledge that we are desperately and deeply loved. And no matter what we've done, right, no matter how faulty we are, or no matter how bad the world that we occupy, there is still a gracious and loving God who is always moving towards us. That's a good and assuring, and, and a thing that should bring us assurance. But, but... It should also transform us. You know, grace should be a kind of tutor in our lives that, that learns us, that teach, that learns us, that learns us real good, um, <laughs> that teaches us how to move. I promise I have, I was educated in Iowa. Uh, uh, that, that moves us into, that moves us into a, a, a position where we can receive from God. That moves us into a position where we want to leave the things of our lives that uh, held us back or were sinful, to leave them behind us. It, it calls us to learn to, to learn to live in the rhythms of God's grace, to learn to live into the king, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. This is what grace does. It transforms our hearts. But there's one more question, isn't there? When we talk about grace and receiving grace and what grace is and what it means and how it functions, what, well, what are we really talking about? Because when it's just, it's just an extrapolation still at this point, right? It's still just an idea that's kind of out there in the ether, and we have to go and we have to kind of make sense of it. But luckily for us, the scriptures are quite clear about what grace actually is. The scriptures point uh, quite clearly to us that Jesus is the embodiment; he is the representation; he is actually, in human form, the grace of God communicated to us. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace, grace personified. Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' compassion and love are the grace of God to us. This is what we read in uh, beginning in verse 7 of our teaching text. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And the kindness of Christ Jesus is his death and resurrection. It is his love and it is his acceptance. Uh, The Gospel of John says it this way in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, No one has ever seen God but the one one and only Son who is himself God and and is in closest relationship with the Father who made him known. Jesus is the personification. He is the picture of God's grace. And when we talk about receiving the grace of God, we cannot talk about it apart from speaking about receiving the person of Jesus into our lives. Because Jesus is the beautiful 
loving expression of the grace of God that comes to us. And this is not just, this is not just kind of ephemeral love. It is a person. It is a personal reality. It is the, it is the uh, second person of the Trinity. It is Jesus Christ and what he did for us that moves our hearts. You see, when we experience the grace of God, we are not just experiencing kind of the type of romantic comedy love that transforms. What we are actually experiencing in real, in a real sense, is the person of God, is Jesus. And that should be beautiful. It should call beauty out of us. It should create uh, more beautiful lives in us, right? It should do all of this thing to kind of move us away from away from all of the stuff that we were talking about the, the, the last week that uh, holds us back and, and grinds us down, but rather moves us into this place of beauty. You know, if you want to see what God's grace looks like, if you want to experience it, it is the love and person of Jesus that is always, constantly for you and towards you. Always. You have to look no further than the person of Jesus. It is grace in the person of Jesus that is calling to us. It is grace in the person of Jesus that longs for us to be reconciled to him. It is grace in the person of Jesus that longs for us to come into contact with himself and then be transformed by that reality and to never be the same. Still faulty, still broken, but never to be the same. And so, the question I have, it's kind of for my own heart, but also for all of us this morning, is that if I am grumpy, if my life is not beautiful, if I don't see beauty kind of springing up in all of these interesting areas, if I'm not seeing some form of progress, right, in my life, and I'm not saying that just because you follow Jesus, everything goes great. That's not true at all, right? Just because you, just because you, you uh, have experienced Jesus doesn't mean like your bank account's going to automatically go, Ooh. I don't know what la is. It's like a, I don't know. But, but that's to say that uh, there should be this transforming effect that we, when we come into, the, come into contact with Jesus. And there should be, not, always, not, by, not by worldly standards, right? Not all, the, not all the metrics we use to judge success in modern American society. But in, in, in a spiritual and in an aesthetic way, there should be beauty springing up out of our lives. There should. There should be like uh, little flowers springing up through the cracks of our broken lives. What? That's funny. There should be. There should be. And the challenge, the challenge this morning really is that if you don't see that right now, and we all go through times when we don't, if you don't see that right now, Maybe you need to embrace this beautiful gospel of grace. Maybe you need to embrace afresh and anew this beautiful God who longs to be, bring beauty out of your ashes, who longs to give you grace upon grace, who longs to extend to you his love, who longs to be uh, reconciled to you in relationship and call out of you all the good that he created you to do. This is the God we serve. This is what it means to follow the person of Jesus. And this is what it means to live within the hand of a God who created a beautiful world and wants you, along with him, to kind of steward that, to shepherd that, to, to uh, 
to create more beauty, to do more good, to love more, and to extend this message of God's grace out into the world. This is what it is. And this is why this faith for 2,000 years, for tens of millions and billions of Christians throughout time has been a beautiful, beautiful faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we ask that this morning, uh, as we go out into a day that might not feel particularly beautiful to those of us who like things like, I don't know, grass, we pray, we pray that your love would be near us. We pray that, your, uh, that we would encounter the risen Jesus today, not in, uh, uh, not in a way that is uh, about rules or regulations, not in a way that is about uh, punishment or reward, but in a way that is all about love and grace. It is all about the goodness that God wants to bring and communicate to each of our hearts. And so this morning, for those of us who are struggling, as we all do, would you be, uh, would you communicate afresh and anew to our hearts about the love and the grace of God? Would we, again, this morning, come into, uh, come into contact with the personification of grace, which is Jesus Christ? Would we see that love and that goodness again in some real and true sense, and would it call out of us something beautiful? Father, I pray for us, for all of us this week, that we would be ambassadors, that we would be carriers of this grace, that having encountered the love and grace of God, that we would be uh, people who would be able to extend that to other people, that we, wouldn't just, uh, that we wouldn't just hoard it for ourselves, God, but that we would be people who walk uh, through our lives extending grace and love wherever we go. Jesus, we love you today, and we ask that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name. Amen and amen. Go today in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.